The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. to know the score i'm your host don delorente and i'm joined by my co-host none other than the libra icon Dwayne. what's going on Dwayne? man nothing much uh, it's been uh it's been a mix of lulls and action depending on what sport you're into but we're here to uncover all of it and, and uh, break it down let's get into it all right, just to let everyone know, another score is being brought to you by the CSPN. You can find us on the web at CSPN.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitch Radio, all those good places. All you have to do is search for KTS Pod the CSPN. So, of course, we'll talk about the NFL playoffs to get us started. Uh, we'll start on the Sunday games first. Where the Kansas City Chiefs, they survived an injury to Patrick Mahomes to defeat the Browns 22-17. to uh, Looked like Patrick Mahomes has got his bell rung. Uh, he got bulldogged, headlocked to the ground on a fourth and one uh, option play. Uh, where he came up short of the first down, uh, went down, didn't really get up right away. Then when he did get up... He was unsteady on his feet, so of course everybody rushes over there and, and grabs him and walks him off the sideline. Um, he ran off the field though to the locker room, so it looked like you know after a minute or two he got his senses back about him. But uh, Chad Henney came in through a bad interception, but uh, the Browns let him convert uh, a third and let him run for 13 yards on a third and 14, and then on fourth and one, the old sprint right option never fails. And uh, the uh, Chiefs put the game away. Browns were out of timeouts. Uh, your thoughts on just this game? I thought that Cleveland played a hell of a game. The third quarter was there for them to take, but they didn't score enough points to uh, take the lead to take advantage of Patrick Mahomes getting hurt. Yeah, this was a tough one for the Browns. I was definitely, I was definitely loving the fact that you know we always talk about you know one of the most overused and probably misused words in sports is the word moxie, especially when it comes to certain quarterbacks and things of that sort. But like him or not, Baker Mayfield has that. And he showed that with the leadership and, uh, you know, the Browns were in this game, you know, they were out of sync in that first half, third quarter came in, um, and like you said, this should have been Cleveland's for the taking, but they did not capitalize on on us situations. And as a result, the the uh, Browns were they fell short. And so now with the Chiefs moving on, especially with uh, with uh, Chad Henney getting redeeming himself basically because that that interception was that was a very bad interception and 
but I kind of had to take a dig at Ohio a little bit because getting with the Buckeyes getting pummeled in the championship game and then the Browns letting a Michigan man of all people score, get a first down and clinch the game. That was the best week ever for them. So, (laughs) yeah, it was definitely, definitely not a good week for the state of Ohio, but hats off to Cleveland. Great season. Uh, Surviving events is the name of the game. And the Chiefs did exactly that. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their defense forced three Drew Brees interceptions on their way to a 30-20 win over the Saints. Uh, it's really tough to beat a team three times, and the uh, Buccaneers proved that once again in this game. Uh, didn't start out so hot for the Bucs. They were kind of scuffling around there uh, in the first quarter, most of the first half. Uh, but they finally, uh, with the help of, the, like I said, their defense holding the Saints to field goals, except for the one trick play where Jameis Winston came in and threw a nice bomb. Um, their defense was holding the Saints out of the end zone. They were moving the ball but not scoring touchdowns. And then in the second half, uh, Tom Brady, Gronkowski rekindled their old magic. And the defense, like I said, came up with those turnovers. And uh, the Buccaneers are going to the NFC Championship game. Um did you see this type of outcome coming for maybe Drew Brees in his last game? I didn't see that coming from Drew Brees. I did have a feeling the Bucks will win because, like you said, it's hard to beat a team three times. What I also didn't see coming was uh, the fact that the man that has the handle can't guard Mike was guarded pretty Great, because he was shut out. Four targets, no catches. And obviously, when you don't catch the ball, you can't get any yards. So, looks like Mike was guarded pretty well there. Uh, Michael Thomas. And that took a lot of the offense out of the equation for the Saints. Uh, Yeah, Drew Brees is making, you know, rare mistakes, but... You know, it kind of makes you wonder, is this the swan song for him? Uh, You know, it's one of those – it's going to be one of those things. Is he going to go out, you know, accepting what happened, or is he going – is his pride going to kick in and, you know, have that bad taste in his mouth and decide he wants to come back for one more year, possibly even handicapping the offense? So, because one thing the Saints – been done in so long is we get the ball down the field. Uh, their only long pass was that Jameis Winston bomb. So you got to wonder does does the do the Saints even decide to take Breeze back if he decides to come back, or you know they're riding off the Super Bowl win from twelve years ago, and it's kind of probably time for a new era. I mean, 49 wins in the last four seasons, which is remarkable, but you know, nothing to really show for it except a few division titles and playoff heartbreak. Yeah, what's interesting about them is they've lost uh, these games at home. 
Um, yes. It's not like they've had to go on the road. A lot of people always talk about the uh, home field advantage that the Superdome uh, is, but uh, it hadn't really manifested itself for the Saints the last uh, three or four seasons as they've uh, lost those home games. And uh, this was no different this year as well. Uh, we move on to the Saturday games where Aaron Rodgers had 296 yards passing and two touchdowns as the Packers defeated the Rams 32-18, to and they prepared to host the NFC Championship game for the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career. Um, uh, like I said, like I've always said about Sean McVay, if you can shut his running game down and hold his running game to nothing, then you basically can shut them down. And Jared Goff, his stats were amazing. He was 21 for 27, completion percentage through the roof. 447 yards. So basically, they're dinking and dunking. Uh, they weren't even throwing for 10 yards of completion. So, um, yeah, just the Packers defense just smothered them, and Aaron Rodgers was on point. Uh, two long, uh, one long touchdown pass, a touchdown run as well. Um, Packers, how do you feel they're looking? They've been kind of under the radar. They've been the best team in the NFC for a while now. We've known that, you know, they're going to have this home field advantage. But how do you feel their chances are going up against Brady in this game? I think they have a great chance. Uh, you know, we know, you know, they worked this hard to get home field advantage. They haven't really been talked about that much. And they have put up some great numbers. I even said, you know, as soon as the season was over, you know, we get on these playoff bandwagons when teams are on the couch. I was I was putting my my ticket for the Packers bandwagon on this one. So um Aaron Rodgers has definitely gelled with Matt LaFleur since LaFleur has arrived. Um they have had some great success together, so you know, to get home field advantage, you know, Lambeau Field. Uh, I'll say for most, you know, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, they got the cold weather experience, but how are the rest of the team, how's the rest of the team going to fare? You know, because that cold weather can be a psychological edge, and we'll have to see how the other players adapt to it, but it's going to be a very entertaining game. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, but I do like the Packers having a great chance winning at home. And the Buffalo Bills behind a 104-yard interception return as they defeat the Baltimore Ravens 17-3. to uh, Lamar Jackson got knocked out of the game with a concussion uh, late in the third quarter. Um, but, yeah, the story of the game was basically Justin Tucker missing a field goal uh, in the first quarter. And then in the third quarter in the red zone area, it looks like the Ravens are at least going to tie the game up. Nope, it's a pick six, and the game turns just like that on an instant. Yeah, this was definitely a great game planning by Sean McDermott. Uh, their game plan was to not let Lamar Jackson beat them. And he, especially with the legs, so they played a lot of zone defense. So uh, a lot of zone defense, a lot of spies. Tremaine Edmonds did a great job keeping his eyes on Lamar Jackson. Uh, and 
you know, you always alluded to those outside throws that Lamar needs to work on and that he basically got exposed for not being able to make those outside throws. There was a couple plays where Jackson missed a deep ball and uh, Huntley had um, Hollywood Brown wide open and he missed them, which really could have turned the game on his head. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the Bills defense has been uh, really, really great. Uh, you know, I can't wait to see what uh, McDermott has planned for the Chiefs on Sunday. Uh, Josh Allen, you know, Stefan Diggs. Uh, I think having a great receiver like Diggs is what Josh Allen needed. And his accuracy has just been off the charts, which was his Achilles heel. But he's been able to turn that turn that around and, you know, put up some great, great numbers. Yeah, he's definitely proved that you can uh, improve your accuracy. A lot of people were like, no, that's not something that you can develop. That's either you have it or you don't. But he's definitely proved that it's something that can be coached up. So let's turn our attention to the Chiefs and the Bills. They did have a game earlier this year. Uh, It was one of the first games to get affected by COVID. It got moved uh, to like a Tuesday. And the uh, Bills that day decided to take the slow route of death as they um, basically played a bunch of two deep, um, let uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire get as many yards as as he wanted. They did a good job of not letting uh, Kansas City get behind them, but they couldn't stop Travis Kelsey from catching everything in front of them. Uh, So... I'm just wondering, uh, what do you think they're going to use this time as a tactic? Do you think that maybe with Mahomes not coming into this game 100%, that maybe the toe injury may be more of a concern than the actual concussion or non-concussion, that they try to maybe blitz him a little bit more early in the game, see what kind of movement he's got? And uh, if he can get out of the way, then they maybe revert back to the slow death approach. But if he can't, then, you know, they just keep bringing the heat. I think you hit it on the head. I think you took the words out of my mouth uh, with the put pressure on him. You know, see how that, see how his uh, toe is is uh, feeling. Try to get as much pressure. Maybe use a lot of zone blitz, uh, zone blitz schemes. Drop somebody back, bring the linebackers in, or bring a defense back or a nickel in, and see what kind of pressure you can get on him. Uh, if he is okay, then then you may need to, you know, take your chances by the stuff that's underneath. Maybe put maybe put go back to man in a situation and try to go one on one to see how one on one see how that goes out or cover two. It's gonna be very it's gonna be a game a chess really uh, between the the mentor, uh, Andy Reid, and the people, Sean McDermott, because, you know, McDermott's off that coaching tree. So there's going to be a lot of similarities in what the coverage, the offensive schemes and defensive schemes are. So uh, we just have to see how how this plays out. Now, when we get to this particular weekend in the season, 
the NFL uh, jobs start getting filled as the hiring season has been in full effect. So I'll run through the list of who's gotten hired and then we'll delve into the deeper conversation. Uh, Atlanta hired former Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. The Jets have hired former 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala. Jacksonville, they hired former Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer. The Chargers hired former Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley. The Eagles hired former Colts quarterback coach Nick Cerrone. And the Lions hired former Saints tight end coach Dan Campbell. Now, I see a tight ends coach, quarterbacks coach, a guy who wasn't even in the NFL, a defensive coordinator for one season, and an offensive coordinator for three seasons, all got hired. And all of those people were all white, and all of those people are less qualified at their positions to get hired than Eric but enemy is. So that begs to differ. What's the holdup? Why isn't Eric enemy already snatched up? Well, there's a couple of things that are kind of working against Eric enemy One, he's still playing. His team's still good. So there's certain rules that you can't, you know, you can't, you can only have so much contact because the team you're working for has to allow you to get interviewed. The NFL has to allow you to make the interview and all that. So they actually went out of their way uh, this week to waive all of those provisions so Eric B. Enemy could talk to the Texans. The Texans have the very last job available for this coaching uh, round, and it seems like it may come down to the Bills offensive coordinator, Brian Dayball, and Eric Bieniemy, and it may come down to who gets eliminated first. Uh, so, your thoughts, Mister Libra Icon, on Eric Bieniemy, the most qualified coordinator. Uh, he's got the offense. He got the coordinator of the year position uh, this year, um, but he's still out here. Uh, hasn't been offered a job, and doesn't look like unless the Texans can, you know, pull something out here. Looks like he's going to get a job in this hiring season. Well, does anybody really want to go to Houston right now with all the with all the uncertainty and all the toxic environment that's been going on? That's really a job that nobody wants. But uh, that's another story. Uh, back to the question. So, I I heard something bogus and. It really was just like a cop out, and the cop out was Airbnb is quote unquote too close to the Andy Reid coaching tree. Yet four Andy Reid coaches were in the playoffs, and that, and if that is an excuse, it's a very very poor excuse. Um. He's definitely qualified for this uh, position. Um, he's definitely qualified for this position. Um, you know, this is the guy. He's the guy that Sean Watson really wants. You know, uh, based on everything that's been going on 
Vietnamese and the Sala. Uh, and and uh, you know the whole we're in, the whole Rooney rules already terrible as it is. The intent was there, but it doesn't work because a lot of black coaches that or coordinators that get these interviews to satisfy the Rudy rule, like they don't get the job anyway. Like we knew like the Jets interviewed Marvin Lewis for a head coach job. That was pretty obvious. Um that they're trying to satisfy that rule. Um but it, it's just really a lot of bad, you know, it's a bit, it's a case of, you know, unspoken, unspoken, unspoken uh, racism. You know, let's, let's call it spade a spade. Uh, it's also a case of, you know, your team is that good. You're reigning Super Bowl champs. You're still playing. Got those restrictions. Uh, you try to accommodate, and, and it's easy. It's easily accom- accommodable, if that's the word I'm looking for, um, to do an interview now because social distancing, Zoom. It's you know you make a one Zoom call, bam, interview, make your interview, and then keep it going. But. I just think there's a lot of a lot of uh, bogusness going on in regards to that. Uh, I'll give Arthur Smith all the credit in the world. Anybody that can resurrect Ryan Tannehill deserves a head coaching job. I don't care who it is. Um, Matt LaFleur did it. Arthur Smith continued to do it. So hats off to them. Um, Robert Sola, you know, I love that hire for the Jets. Uh, definitely got the energy, and he's got – he actually has uh, Matt LaFleur's brother going with him as the Jets OC. So – and then I do love that D'Amico Ryan is going to be the new defense coordinator for the 49ers as well at the age of 36. So that's a good job for him. But uh, the enemy, I hope he gets a Texas job, even though it's probably one of the worst jobs to have right now. But I think if he does get it, if he does get it, you know, that will keep the Deshaun Watson saga. That'll probably solve the Deshaun Watson saga. I and hopefully Watson will come around and continue to stay and play for the guy that he originally wanted to come to Houston anyway. Well, the scenario that I've been looking at is this. The Texans do something different. They go their own way, which they have their own right to do. And then let's say the Chiefs win the Super Bowl again. So Andy Reid has now gone back to back. Well, let's say Andy Reid is like, okay, you know what? I've gotten to the mountaintop, you know, twice. I'm going to just go take it to the house. And I want Eric Bieniemy to take the job here. 
and they just passed the torch right on over to Eric the enemy. He ain't got to go rebuild nothing. It's already there. All he got to do is just keep it in between the ditches. Here's your quarterback. Here's your defense. Here's everything you need. Andy Reid come back in like two or three years after he, you know, gets his, uh, you know, gets some rest and coaches somebody different. I could see Andy Reid doing that. Yeah. Yeah. He's that type of guy. He's away for away for a little bit. And it's like, okay, I missed the game. I want to come back. Right, right. I think that it could. Uh, I think it could definitely work that way. Just hand him the torches, hand him the keys to the team, and just be like, "Here you go, brother." Since nobody wanted to give it to you and hire you straight out, we already know you here. So just take this over. Here you go. Right. I mean, even I mean, it could be like a. Um, you know, Bill Walsh to, you know, George Seifert type of deal where, you know, you wait your time and then all of a sudden he just passes this dynasty over to you. I mean, George Seifert was able to get two Super Bowls out the deal. Right. And then we, then he went to Carolina and was exposed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? He's still a two-time Super Bowl champion. He is. He is. You can't take that that away from him. Yeah, so that's the reason why I'm just like, you know, the best situation I think for Eric Bieniemy would be, like you said, let somebody else take the Houston job, let them deal with all their craziness and reshuffling and all that chaos, and you just hold tight and, you know, eventually just take Kansas City's job. Shoot. You know, sometimes you might invite just be working out for him better than it would if you did get one of these other jobs right out the gate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne, the Libra icon. Now we're going to change over and talk about the NBA Uh, The big news in the NBA is, of course, James Harden finally got traded uh, after that press conference he had a week ago or so where he was basically talking about, hey, I think we've done everything we could. We tried our best. I got nothing else to give you. You know, thanks, Houston. And then uh, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins uh, in another separate interview sounding like, hey, man, this team could be really good. But we need everybody on board. If everybody doesn't want to be on board, then they can just stay home and not even try to, you know, interact with us because we, you know, need everybody pulling the same direction. So the uh, Houston management finally got the cue. They didn't want, you know, Cousins and John Walton possibly jump uh, James Harden behind the alley or something. So they got him out of there real quick. And and, uh, so he gets traded to the Nets. Um, it was a th- like a three-way deal. Indiana is mixed in here, too. Uh, Karis LeVert, unfortunately, got moved from Brooklyn. But thankfully, in his physical, they found that he had a mass on his lung or his kidney, rather. So um, so the, the physical that, uh, that happened due to the trade may have saved his life. So that's awesome. Uh, Houston, they get four future first round picks. Uh, they're hoping that uh, they get like the Boston Celtics situation from a few years back, 
where they did those deals for the aging uh, Garnett and Paul Pierce and got all those deferred first-round picks. And then when it came time for that stuff to come due, they were able to get Jason Tatum and then uh, Jalen Brown back-to-back years. So that's what they're trying to pull off here in Houston where the draft's capital is more important than, you know, the players they got back in return. Uh, Your thoughts, sir? On the Nets, the new look Nets, they played their first two games with the whole trio, Kyrie, uh, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, and they're 0 for 2 against the Cleveland Cavs of all teams. Uh, this, this does happen from time to time where, where a team that is coming into a, a new team is formed, a new trio where you got to figure out who gets the ball, who shares the ball. We've seen this with, we've seen this uh, some of the uh, big threes of the past. We saw with the Miami Heat, they had some games against teams where they were supposed to beat, but they didn't. But we saw them, we saw them gel and eventually, you know, get their get their uh, dynasty going. Uh, same with, uh, I mean, even going to say they had to take their lumps early on and the Lakers got out to a slow start. So, uh, before they, the bubble restarted and they, you know, everything came together and they won their uh, championship. But for me, I think this is going to be the same scenario. I mean, yeah, you lose two games to the the Cavaliers, but uh, you know, it's still going to be a long season depending on how things go, of course. But once the second half of the schedule is released, we'll see how that plays out as well. Um, So my thing is it's early. This was the first time all three were together. Uh, Kyrie was out for his reasons. Uh, and so Harden and Durant rekindled that old uh, partnership they had in OKC. Things look good. Now you got all three uh, together, and they'll figure it out. So I think they'll figure it out. Uh, they're built to go make a deep run in the playoffs, but you got to play the game and we'll see what happens. Uh, if any style and coaching staff would be equipped to handle this much offensive talent in one place, it would definitely be uh, Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash. Uh, they're trying to bring back the old Phoenix seven seconds or less uh, style of basketball. The big question will be, can they play enough defense in the playoffs to control teams. I mean, it's really cool to score like 130, 140 points, but it's not so cool to be giving up like 140, 150. So um, with this style of offense, there'll be enough shots for, you know, everybody to get their touches and get their shots up. I think uh, between the three of them the other night, they have something like 68 shots. Uh, they had like 68 shots between them. So it would be more than enough shots to go around with this style of offense. It's just, you know, in the playoffs, when they really got to stop somebody, can they do it? And that's kind of always been the knock on D'Antoni. 
uh, even with the good teams he had in Houston. Uh, you know, defensively, they they just could not um, live up to the 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 intensity that you have to bring each and every night in the playoffs. So, um, I think that's basically what this regular season will be about. See if they can find that defensive intensity and uh, define those defensive roles, and then go from there. Right. Um, anything surprising you so far in the NBA um, as far as a team or player uh, before we move on to our final segment? I would say the one thing that has uh, that I've been most impressed with is Gordon Hayward uh, because a lot of people, you know, when he signed that four-year $120 million deal with the Hornets, we... The internet was very, very critical. I'll put it like that. They were very, very critical of what uh, the Hornets were doing. Like, y'all gave this man an injury-prone Gordon Hayward a four-year, $120 million contract. And... But... Hayward has so far made dues on this uh, investment because he has only missed one game this season. And he's he's missed one game this season. He's averaging he's averaging twenty two point or twenty three actually, twenty three point one points, five point one rebounds, three point seven assists. He's at a 50-40-90 clip right now, 50% from the field, 40 from three, 91 from the line. And so a lot of a lot of uh we a lot of people kind of assume that, you know, because of the injury that happened in Boston, and the injury that happened in Boston, he wasn't really the same player in Boston. And then the Hornets giving this money, and and um, they just didn't think he would be playing as well. So that's probably the biggest surprise for me. And the Hornets are, you know, in the mix for that. Um, we're in the mix for the the uh, playoff spot. The Knicks are playing well under Tibbs, uh, and by. Eight and nine, that's actually well for Nick's standards right now. <laughs> I mean, normally at the 17-game point, we're talking about the Knicks at at least three and 14. So, uh, shout-out to the Knicks there. Uh, and then the Jazz, you know, they're right up there with the Clippers and the Lakers. You know, they're playing very well, too. So, those, those are the big surprises, the big storylines right now. Um, you know, I'll say one thing about the Lakers, though. Even though they're twelve and four, have they have not won a game against their division, uh, and even they've only played two division games, one with Golden State and one with the Clippers. They have not won either one of those yet. Yeah, the uh, Golden State game was troubling for them because they were in control of that game for most of the evening, and then. Uh, Golden State uh, caught fire there, got the tempo up, and uh, rebounded the ball a lot better. And uh, 
yeah, came back and stole that game. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely got to be a little bit of a worry for the Lakers going forward. Um, in our last segment here, we're going to talk about in memory of, because, man, baseball has been hit hard over the past uh, two weeks as we've lost Tommy Lasorda, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers manager for over 20 seasons. Don Sutton, a 300-game winner, spent a lot of his career with the Dodgers as well. And hammering Hank Aaron, um, you know, star of the Negro Leagues and the uh, home run king uh, after Babe Bruce, uh, always with so much dignity and grace and, you know, civil rights pioneer and champion and everything that Hank Aaron stood for. So uh, just very momentous uh, figures. Bob Gibson. Oh, yeah, and Bob Gibson as well. Um, last man to have uh, ERA under one. Uh, in the major leagues, uh, he passed away as well. So uh, four icons of the sport um, passing away in such a short time frame. Just a lot of lot of great, great Hall of Fame players and memories and thoughts, uh, you know, with all these players. Uh, anything stand out or any words that you'd like to relay on any of those four men? Yeah, I mean – all four of them are legends and you know a lot of a lot of um people have been very supportive a lot of franchises you know have their own unique memory of uh hank aaron uh, and the way he just handled his whole career with the Braves um, from Milwaukee to Atlanta. Um, and then, you know, just being the man that he was, always supportive of HBCUs. Uh, I remember, I remember the first um, celebration bowl uh, that I went to. He he was uh he was there you know he was on right on he was riding with the cart but he was there waving to the crowd you know that was a good uh, moment there and and just uh, not only was uh you know he a supporter of HBCUs he was a longtime Cleveland Browns fan man he was just sit chilling in the dog pound nobody bothering him but he was always a fan of the Browns too so. Um, and then Bob Gibson, probably one of the most lethal fastballs, you know, in the history of the game, uh, the, his, uh, his, uh, the gas that he had was just amazing. And, you know, like you said, ERA under one, the last guy to do that. And it's very, very hard. Nowadays, to even get an ERA under two, let alone get it under one. So, uh, Don Sutton, Tommy Lasorda, two Dodger legends right there. And, you know, the game's losing a lot of our great players, but, you know, their, their achievements, not just as, you know, players and managers, uh, but their, their achievements as men will you know, withstand the annals of time. So uh, very thankful, you know, to 
I didn't get a chance to witness most, you know, this during their prime, but, you know, thankfully, you know, getting able to see the men that they were, you know, afterwards, you know, you appreciate their in-game accomplishments more. Right, right. Um, little baseball note, uh, your team, the Mets, grand opening, grand closing on their, uh, who they thought was going to be an up-and-coming uh, general manager prospect, uh, Jared Porter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, fortunately, he, um, you know, out here sending some unsolicited text messages uh, to a, a, a woman reporter. Uh, it went from it being kind of hearsay to, yes, it's factual. So the Mets with the new management did the only thing that they could, which was fire him immediately. So now they're looking for a new uh, general manager. And um, actually, they're uh, they're gonna be looking next off season. They're gonna just let okay. Sandy run the show. Okay, one more one more year with old Sandy, huh? Yep. And then uh, George Springer, he signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. So it looks like the Blue Jays seem to be an attractive team to uh, people out here in Major League Baseball this year after. Uh, getting a little taste of the revised Major League playoffs that they had this past season. So two teams getting a lot of fanfare coming into the season. Actually, three teams. Chicago White Sox. I think a lot of people are excited about what the White Sox are going to do this year. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays and the Padres. A lot of people are excited about the Padres. They look like they have a budding superstar in Fernando Tatis Jr. Hey, there's a fourth team there. Uh, who, sir? The Mets. Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah, because y'all made the trade for um the kid Lindor. from Cleveland. Yeah, Lindor. Um, very slick fielding, infielder, good bat as well. Uh, so, yeah, so the Mets have a lot of buzz surrounding them on the field and off the field as well. So it will be very interesting to see uh, how things shape up for this Major League Baseball. Pitchers and catchers reporting about, oh, 20 or so days. So things will be be will be getting cranked up uh, around uh, Florida and Arizona as uh, teams get ready to start their spring training. So at this point, Libra Icon, I'm gonna turn it over to you for your final thoughts and your shout outs and thank yous. All right, shout out to you, Don. Uh, thanks for having me as always. Uh, shout out to all the listeners, all the CSPN family. And most importantly, a shout out to the hockey writers for giving me the full-time position with the Predators. Uh, yeah, so uh, definitely be covering more uh, Predators games, more than I have before. Um, my handle has changed um, after almost 12 years of being the Libra icon. I decided to retire it. And so my new handle is basically my initials, uh, D-A-D-J-R, Jr., as I'm named after my dad, 84, the year I was born. So D-A-D-J-R, 84, uh, is my new handle. Um, still going to be regularly posting there. D Dunham Jr. will be where you'll get most of my, um, most of my sports insight. As well as, uh, you know, I'll be sharing the posts that I make from the Hockey Riders, uh, working on a few other things as well. 
uh, media wise, but I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, my final thoughts would be, uh, let's see, I got a couple, but I want to, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, let's go to, we'll stick with hockey. We're going to stick with hockey. So, a lot of uh, COVID's been running a little rampant in the NHL to start this uh, 56 game sprint to the playoffs. Um, the Predators actually had to postpone a game with the Carolina Hurricanes uh, because uh, it turned out that several members of the Hurricanes organization got hit with the uh, COVID. Uh, Hurricanes actually shut down uh, their, you know, shut down the team operations for a little bit to uh, get this under control. Uh, that's similar to the uh, Hurricanes. The Predators had to play a team that was just getting over their COVID issues, the Dallas Stars, who missed their first uh, few games of the season. They actually had their first game of the season where they raised their Western Conference banner um, in Dallas. Uh, Stars actually ended up winning that game 7 to nothing. Um, so we kind of touched on this, you know, when the NBA teams are starting to get hit a little bit uh, with this virus. Uh, and, and I said that with the NBA and NHL teams that have a dual occupancy, this is not going to be something that's going to be, you know, mm -hmm. easy to manage. So, you know, the teams that have uh, NBA and NHL tenants are probably the most at risk right now. Or, you know, if they share an arena with a college team like the Bucks and Marquette or the Hurricanes and NC State, or in Philly, you got the Flyers, the Sixers, and Villanova. Those Villanovas are going to just play their all their games on campus. Uh, those are some major issues right there, and this is not something that's going to go away. So, as safe as you can be, you know, you got to be ultra careful. You know, with all of the things that are happening right now. Yeah, for sure. Definitely uh, college basketball and the NHL right now are definitely getting hit the hardest uh, when it comes to the recent outbreaks of COVID and, and missing games and having to cancel and rearrange schedules and things of that sort. So, yeah, definitely a difficult time uh, for those two sports. Um, my final thought, I think I'm going to go with um, I think there's a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers tomorrow. Um, he, he's been in the NFC Championship game on the road the past couple of times he's been there. He hasn't really played that well. The Packers haven't won. He's got the game at home. It's a duel against Tom Brady, a rematch from earlier in the season, but this is the biggest game against Tom Brady. Uh, this is kind of what the dream Super Bowl matchup for years and years that people wanted to see. Breeze versus, um, excuse me, Rogers versus um, Brady in the Super Bowl. Well, we get an NFC Championship game 
And I think there's a lot of pressure on Drew Brees to bring, I mean, excuse me, I don't know why I keep saying Drew Brees, uh, Aaron Rodgers, to bring this one home over Tom Brady. Um, this is the best team that he's had up underneath him in quite a while when it comes to complete team, offense, defense, special teams. They were number one seed, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how he plays uh, in that scenario. Um against Tom Brady in the Buccaneers defense against a team that clearly uh, had his number earlier this season. So I'm looking forward to Aaron Rodgers looking at him very closely on Sunday and how he performs in an NFC championship game. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.